With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Episode 17, Dexter Henry and Brian Fonseca here. We have a very special guest here today. He is the senior NBA writer at Bleacher Report, also the host of the Full 48 podcast. You guys probably know him formerly from the LA Times, the days of the New York Times. I knew Beck from the New York Times. I didn't know you. Howard Beck. Howard, how are you, man? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it on this freezing cold night. Yes, yeah, <laughs> but it is warm in here. We, we get to talk NBA Toasty. basketball, which is always good. Um, Howard, it's been a very interesting NBA season thus far, uh, but we're going to get to that a little bit later. We want to talk to you about, obviously, your time as, as a journalist, uh, too. You were one of the first journalists, at least I remember, that was working for a major outlet, a new paper like the New York Times, and then you kind of went more to the digital side, if you want to say, to Bleacher Report. You're kind of one of the first bigger writers to, to do that. What, what was that like for you at that time, making leaving the newspapers to go more digital and, and Bleacher Report? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, not sure if I was actually the first. I mean, I was. It, it was a big deal um, when yeah, I left, which was weird. Yeah, it, it was. It, I mean, it was. It was weird because that that was like my 15 minutes of fame. As soon as I made that announcement, I, I announced it myself. Somehow managed to do that on Twitter that day before anybody else found out, um, which was a success or a, a victory in itself. Um, but all of a sudden, like Deadspin was writing about it, and I think like the New Republic was writing about it, and like. Which look, you know, I'm I'm not so egotistical as to think that that had anything to do with me. It's the fact that I left the place I left for the place I went to. I left the New York Times to go to Bleacher Report, and that doesn't happen. Um, so it was um, it was a huge leap for me personally at the time and, and professionally. It was a difficult one to make. But you know, by that time, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski had been at Yahoo for six, seven years by that point, I think, and he certainly when he made that move. Yahoo was Yahoo was a search engine, you know. Well, Yahoo who thought about that in terms of sports. Right? No, well, they didn't. They didn't have any journalists working there. They had there was the search engine, which is what they began as in the nineties. There was you know Yahoo Shopping. There was Yahoo Fantasy Sports, but there wasn't there was no Yahoo Sports coverage. There was right. no Yahoo News coverage. Yahoo Entertainment. There was nothing. So when when Adrian made that move, and several others did too at the time, Tim Brown went there to cover baseball, and and some others followed. Mark Spears eventually went there. To me, that was the first wave. Like that, those, they, that was kind of like the pioneering wave. Although even before that, you know, FoxSports.com had, in various incarnations, starting in the late '90s, had hired people, laid them all off. Hired new people, laid them all off. Um, they keep doing that uh, all, all, all the way through. To, all the way through to today. Um, so, I mean, to me, the, like the. Um, the, the leap of faith part of it was just going to a place, Bleacher Report, that had never employed, you know, professional journalists before as, as writers out in the field. Right. You know, that was the part. Like, they had people writing for them, but they didn't have people who were established. Um, and I was taking, you know, it was it was a bit of a risk, obviously. I, mean, I was leaving <laughs> the most established uh, 
institution in journalism you could possibly you know could possibly find so uh leaving the times was going to be tough no matter where i went if i ever left i hadn't intended to leave leaving to go where i went made it twice as um unsettling it did it, it uh it was it was difficult there were a few friends of mine who uh shall remain nameless who i i absolutely just wore their asses out because for the month before i took the job i was calling one or or several of them every day saying what about this what about that what do you think of this and just like needing that guidance because um it was it was tough it was really difficult i always viewed myself as a newspaper guy mm. um i loved working for the times and obviously that's you know you you don't get any higher than that in our business and so i had never even thought about leaving so when bleacher report had come along and and started recruiting me you know initially i didn't even give it much thought and then as it became more intriguing and i started to seriously have to consider it then all of a sudden I had this like, you know, strange feeling like, oh my gosh, am I actually going to leave the New York Times? Am I friggin' crazy? Um, were, were you crazy? What, what can you say uh, now? I, 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 mean, I was, I was, I was not, I was not crazy. Um, <laughs> That's a check. Uh, uh, no, the good news is I'm still here. It's still, uh, you know, uh, you know, doing decent stuff, and my career is fine. Uh, it's been four and a half years. Uh, Happy Bleacher Report. They've let me do a lot of really fun stuff. Um, you know, the, the irony is there are things that I was have been able to do there that I couldn't have done at the Times, even in terms of like long form writing, because that wasn't my job at the Times. My job was a very specific slot to just churn out mostly Knicks copy, but a lot of NBA copy. And, and Bleacher Report gave me the, uh, you know, the latitude and the, the freedom, the time to develop these longer pieces, which have been the stuff that I'm most proud of. But I also have the podcast. I've been able to do a bunch of TV and radio, um, things that I couldn't do while I was at the Times. And so... Um, no, that like, I don't regret the move for a minute. doesn't mean that I wasn't slightly crazy to make the jump at the time because I, did, I couldn't know where this was going at the time. You know, there's only so much assurance they can give you, but, um, but they offered this intriguing array of different things I could do, other boxes I could check and, and different ways to kind of, um, you know, explore the craft that was beyond just, okay, crank out 270 stories a year, which is what I was doing at the time. So well, all that being said, what would you say, you know, given like the newspaper background and everything you have, what could you say about the future of newspapers like, as you see it? I mean, did that even factor into your no, at all? No, and and that gets asked a lot, like, oh, well, you know, hey, you were really smart to go. You were really, no, I mean. It would seem like on the surface that you may have left ahead of like the curve, so to speak. All right, but so the, the Times has had cutbacks within the last, you know, 12 months or whatever. But the Times had cutbacks in terms of both buyouts and layoffs. I think twice in the nine years I was there. That's all. I mean, that's always going on. They they cut back. They grow again. Um, their newsroom, I still think, is is well over. I think eleven hundred journalists or something. It's the largest newsroom in the country uh, by far. Um, I never ever ever worried that the Times wouldn't be there somehow, right. or that I wouldn't have a place at the Times. That was never my concern. Um, if that had been my concern, I would have been looking on my own actively as opposed to leaving because this, this kind of dropped in my lap. Um, you know, again, I wasn't looking in 2013 when these guys came along. Um, I worry about newspapers in general. I worry about the LA Daily News where I used to work. I worry about the Ventura County Star where I used to work. I worry about the Davis Enterprise, uh, my first newspaper that I worked at out of college. Um, I worry about newspapers in general all over the country because the business model has been undermined by a thousand different uh, factors over the years, um, and newspapers I still think are critically, critically important. Yeah. And if they die, there's nobody else doing the important work. I mean, we just saw it this week 
the Indianapolis Star is, is the paper that did all of the, the most important work on Dr. Nasser um, and, and with regard to, to the gymnasts and Michigan State. So yeah. yep. with, without newspapers, without journalists going and doing the hard, dirty work every day to, you know, ferret out these stories, especially at the local level, you know, there will always be people covering, you know, various agencies covering Washington, covering uh, politics. But covering local politics, city hall in any town USA, and, and um, that's that's what I worry about is is the health of newspapers um, leading to the death of local journalism. Um, but no, with the Times, like it, it's the New York Times, well, they yeah. go, they going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So with, the, with that being said, I actually want to harp on something you just said about local journalism and also opportunities for younger reporters who may be trying to. You know, do do what you do, Howard, or you know, say, hey, I one day I want to be an NBA senior writer. Um, what do you think about opportunities for young journalists? We asked Ian Begley when we had him yeah. here on this podcast. He spoke a little bit about that. But what do you think about the way the industry now is opportunities opportunities for young writers trying to get in the game? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's tough. Um, there's never been a. I'm not sure if there's ever been a good time to be like a newspaper reporter or be a journalist. <laughs> I'm going through that right now. And 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 you know, I feel like there are more opportunities than ever now because of the internet and the democratization of news in that regard. But, you know, okay, great. If you want to work for free or, or just start your own blog. I mean, so the good news is you can get published. You can, you can put your stuff up yourself. Can you get paid? Can you get, you know, a good job for a place that actually is going to support and develop you and invest in you and give you health benefits? Um, that's, I mean, no, that's, but that's clearly the challenging part, right? Like that's, that's the hard part. Um, to me, and it's hard for me to, to say this definitively because, like, I'm not out in, in I'm not I'm not on in that job market right now or starting my career right now, so I don't know where the best paths are. I always say, like, I have a hard time answering that question whenever anybody younger asks, like, well, what do I where what, what do I do? Where should I go? What's the best path? You can't. I don't know if you can still replicate the path that like I and others of my generation took because right. there was a fairly stable, predictable path to the extent that it was ever stable or predictable. But, you know, you get the job at the small town paper. The Davis Enterprise, where I first worked, was 10,000 circulation. Mm. And I went from the Davis Enterprise to the Ventura County Star, which was like a hundred and something thousand, you know, a little over a hundred thousand. And I went from Ventura, which was 80,000 or something. And I went from there to the New York Times. Like, that's the progression. You go to the smaller papers and you hope to work your way up. The good news is that's still there. Right. Um, those yeah. places have fewer jobs than they had before. Right. And they might pay even worse than they did before, which is, Most likely. Uh, you know, like <laughs> I, it's, it's, you know, I, hard to think that anybody could have actually paid worse than they, than they did before. Um, but, but it's still there. Like the, the path is there. If you're willing to work that path. Um, and I think that that's like the big key is if you have to start out at a weekly paper or a blog that, you know, doesn't pay that well and you got to you know, hold down a second job or live with your parents or whatever. Like if you want it badly enough, that's what you do. You just, you, you find your way. Um, you know, it, it's, those jobs are still there. The path is still there. It's just not as, um, predictable or streamlined, I think as it, as it once was. Uh, and you may have to, like I say, supplement or whatever. Um, but you know, again, there's also, there's all these websites out there. And there are other ways to go about it. I don't know. Like if I were graduating right now, yeah, I, 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 I don't know 
I don't know what the what the password <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, I, I think, I think <laughs> even for me, it's, it's tougher than it was. You know, I'm going to go twelve years ago. Brian's more recent to that. Yeah, it's funny because like you were explaining all that, and that's literally what I'm doing right now. It's like I'm with the local newspaper that's weekly. I'm with the blog. I just got out of college a couple of years ago. Like this is literally my path that I'm yeah. taking right now. So you're kind of like you're speaking to me. <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I, I, like, I think it's cool that Howard's also not. Uh, you know, trying to BS anybody being like, hey, I understand that it was different for my generation. I understand the challenges that there are now. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's all roses and roses <laughs> as a path to success, whatever that might mean to you. But exactly. um, yeah, yeah. So honesty in that is, is appreciated. And I think people can definitely appreciate that. I mean, it's fine to be honest. I wish I actually had some other better answer, though. Like, I mean, it's really like, I, I you know, I, I hate not knowing what that answer should should be. Right. Um, because it, it kind of drives me crazy. Like it, it's, it, it's, um, I, I would like to be able to tell people, Hey, look, here's what I did. Go, go, just, just go do what I did. To get, you'll be fine. Um, not that my path actually made that much damn sense anyway, either, but, um, but it, it is different now. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. Really say but it's, but the, also the, the, the conundrum, I guess you would say is like, and you hinted at this earlier, but the news, the journalism it's always going to be valuable. Yes. It's just a matter of whether those people will be able to live off of, you know, giving you the news. My, my hope had always been, as we saw, like all these convulsions in the news business starting in, I don't know. I mean, there's all, again, there's always been convulsions, but with the internet coming along in the late nineties and then newspapers all rushing headlong into the internet and giving away their content for free and doing other stupid things. Um, <laughs> My hope was that, you know, there would be like this kind of, there would be a contraction and then an expansion again. Like things would contract because, okay, all the classified ad money went off to Craigslist and other internet sites, right? And so they lost some ad money. And then, um, you know, there were all these different ways in which they, they, they lost revenue streams. And so it was going to contract a little. And then I thought eventually they'd figure out a new way to monetize. They would, you know, rejigger the business model and then it would start to expand again. That was always my hope was like right. there'd be this accordion effect, right? Okay. And I feel like that's the part, like it, it just, it, the accordion never came back out. Yes, um, so if you enjoy accordion music, you're really <laughs> suffering right now. It's just the compression part. Yeah. Uh, it's just yeah. um, to figure it out. <laughs> but, I, but I still believe, I think on some level that that's what's going to happen. Like maybe it's not, it's not today and it's not five years from now, maybe 10 years from now. Eventually I think things have to stabilize, right? Where someone's going to finally figure out what the new business model is. And when that takes hold things will calm down a little bit. Um, and maybe it's not a business model. Maybe it's simply that we need benefactors out there, people with a lot of money who are philanthropic minded, who are civic minded, who want to put the money into, you know, into a trust nonprofits or something that then support, you know, local journalism. Right. Um, you know, maybe it's just a matter of, of more of those models kind of taking hold. I don't, I don't know. Cause the, obviously the old model of just like, Oh, someone will pay for display ads and those pay for you to then go out and report news that that model is, is, you know, on life support. Yeah. What do you think of what the athletic is trying to do now? I love it. I love it because the athletic is basically, you know, after, you know, 20 years of, again, newspaper stupidity and, and self-inflicted wounds of basically saying we're going to give our content away for free. Yeah. Um, the, and, and yeah, and so the athletic has said, listen, um, we're going to declare a few things implicitly. I mean, they've probably said it explicitly too, but like one, uh, you know, we're going to have reporters who give you stuff that you, that you really want. And that stuff is worth paying for. We, we have information and well-told stories and that information, and well-told stories are worth something. They're not worth nothing. They're not, they shouldn't be free. You should have a means to pay for that. Um, and if you hire the right people, and they've got exclusive content 
that people feel is worthwhile. There you go. So that like that's there's a there's a, there's a lot of logic to that model, yep. um, but it does rely on a couple things. It relies on there being enough of an audience that's willing to pay and continue paying, not just the first time, but when their subscription comes up to renew, mm-hmm. and that people aren't going to cannibalize it by you know you take the subscription and then you cut and paste it or whatever. I mean we've seen this in, ever since internet bulletin boards became a thing that people would cut and paste entire stories of mine and others and others in the business on some bulletin board, or then it was, you know, you know, then it was aggregation sites and then everything else. And like, and, but now everybody's an aggregator, mm-hmm. you know, obviously yeah. Bleacher Report's an aggregator. So let's throw that out there right off the bat, but everybody aggregates now. Yeah. And so is anything worth anything if somebody else can cut it and paste it and give it to you for free? So that's, that's the difficult part. Um, but you know, uh, I, I think what the athletic is doing is at least try to change the, um, the public's understanding of the model again, where it's like, listen, if you want something, you pay for it. This works with music, by the way. Napster came along. You guys remember Napster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so <laughs> you guys are younger. Um, <laughs> just checking. So Napster comes along, and everybody's like, it's the death of the music industry. I remember that. No one's ever going to pay for music ever again. What happens? Apple invents the iTunes store, says, well, you could pay 99 cents. Yeah, but I'm getting it for free. But yeah, but you could pay that in cents and, and put it on, and put it and put it on the, on this iPod that's like uh, like this thick. Um, <laughs> so so people did. Lo and behold, people actually were still willing to pay for music, yep. and now they're paying for music on on fifty different kinds of platforms. And you know, and you can get you know all you can listen on Spotify and and. Um, it worked. They put the genie back in the bottle, kind of. Now, granted, you know, the artists would tell you they're not making as much as, as they used to under yeah, this model as, as they did. Okay. But still, this idea that, well, once people get something for free, they'll never pay again? Yeah. No. Right. You just you got to retrain people. You gotta, and you got to convince them, and especially with something as important as journalism. Like, mm-hmm. screw what I do. Like, you know, NBA coverage, like, uh, there's a thousand, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It, it's just the NBA. It's basketball. Who, who freaking cares? I care. <laughs> but <laughs> we're going to talk about that co- next. <laughs> but coverage, uh, coverage of what's going on at your local city hall, no, coverage sure. of what's going on in Washington, mm-hmm. yeah, coverage right. of, of, you know, the environment. They, these things are important. You should want to pay for people to be digging into these things and reporting on them and holding uh, the powerful, whether elected officials or corporations or whoever, to account. Like, that's important. So we just need to, you know, and this is the problem. Journalists are, are shitty salespeople. We don't do a very good job of convincing the public of our own mission and its importance and why they need to be engaged and why they need to value it and why they need to pay for it. So if we did a better job of that, again, if, if Spotify can work, if the Apple iTunes store can work, there has to be a way to get people to pay for news again. That's great. I think it's a great analogy. And I think I think you're 100% right. It's spot on. I hope so. <laughs> you're right. As journalists, we have to do a better job of, of selling that. All right, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, we will actually talk what Howard says people might not care about. <laughs> we do. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we come back on the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. What's up, listeners? You know sometimes how it can be hard yeah, just to right. get from point A to point B. Now, I have to get anywhere, and I don't want to deal with the hassle of public transportation. It ain't hard to tell how I get around. I always make sure to use the best car service app in the game. I'm talking about Lyft. Lyft offers rides in minutes. All you have to do is download the Lyft app, press the ride, and you will be on your way quickly. Lyft is all about happy riders and happy drivers. Take a ride with them and you'll see why 9 out of 10 rides end up with a 5-star rating. 
Lyft always has amazing offers for new customers. I'm here to tell our listeners about a great offer today. Lyft is currently offering free ride credit to Ain't Hard to Tell listeners. If you are new to Lyft, then you are eligible and getting your credit is easy. All you have to do is download the app and use the promo code AHTTPOD to unlock your free credit today. Ain't hard to tell who is the best car app service. So use the code today and ride out loud with Lyft. The best new sports web series is here. It's from Backpack Broadcasting and it's called The Sports Walk. The Sports Walk is a series where diverse sports fans take a walk and share their views at the intersection of sports and society. The entire first season is now available on Backpack Broadcasting's YouTube channel and BackpackBroadcasting.com. See what other sports fans have to say about a variety of issues in the world of sports. Watch all 13 episodes from Season 1 and take The Sports Walk today. Hard to tell podcast. Dexter Henry joined by Brian Fonseca as usual, and our guest Howard Beck, NBA senior writer for Bleacher Report. And Howard, we talked a lot about journalism in the first segment. We're going to talk a little bit of NBA, which some people care about. <laughs> it's not that nobody cares or shouldn't care. I'm just saying it's not. It's not the stuff that matters as much. It is all I'm saying. I'm just trying. I'm just. I'm ranking our news uh, categories <laughs> here. I would like to be clear that just putting NBA second. No, as an NBA junkie, <laughs> which I am, I'm an NBA junkie. Yes, it does not matter as much as some of the more important things, like you know. And things going on locally in the community, politics, your family. <laughs> those, there you go. <laughs> those things should really matter. But I do love the NBA, and Howard does cover the NBA. And um, I guess first I'll start off with you. It's been an interesting NBA season. Um, what have you made of the season thus far? And I think the question I'm sure you get all the time is, can anybody beat the Warriors? No, nobody can beat the Warriors um, unless they beat themselves or they're, as I often say, unless like the bus drives off in a ditch or something. Um, Which you're not watching. No, of course not. Um, But, you know, to the first part of the question, what's been interesting about the season, I mean, listen, this is the good news uh, for the NBA and for NBA fans. Like, okay, here we are. It's, you know, almost February. Um, We are past the midpoint, the mathematical midpoint. All-star break's coming up soon. And people still care. They're still watching. Like the inevitability of the Warriors, which everybody feels, teams feel it, fans feel it, the inevitability of the Warriors has not dampened excitement about how, you know, the Thunder are doing or how Paul George is, is clicking with Russ lately after not clicking before. Um, it's not stopping anybody from being uh, either riveted or uh, perversely entertained by the utter, you know, uh, you know, dumpster fire that the Cavaliers are right now. So um, it's not dampening uh, Knicks fans' excitement about seeing Porzingis make the All Star team or Tim Hardaway Jr. semi vindicated that contract. Um, it's it's probably not even dampening Nets fans' excitement over Spencer Dinwiddie all of a sudden becoming like this you know, kind of, uh, you know, folk hero in Brooklyn where, you know, they, they, they lose their two starting point guards. They lose, you know, they don't have much else to hang their hat on anyway. But, you know, the, the basketball continues. The, every team keeps competing, whether they think the Warriors are going to win it all or not. Mm-hmm. And so there's still fun things to watch. There's still great basketball being played. Um, 
and, and the world keeps turning. But yeah, if, if all that matters is the championship, if every season is played just for the championship, and by the way, like we've gotten to like this philosophical like moment in the NBA, it's like, well, maybe the championship isn't everything. Like it is, but if <laughs> if we if truly like the Warriors have forced us to 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 reevaluate your value system. If all that matters is the championship and the pursuit of that, mm-hmm. then we've gone from an NBA where you could argue about four or five, six teams maximum to one. one. Yeah. You now have to put that aside for your own sanity, unless you're a Warrior fan, right. um, just to say, well, well, why am I watching? Because the rest of this is fun to watch, too. And so it's actually, in a way, it's kind of healthy in that it's forced everybody to kind of reassess and stop doing this all-or-nothing thing where the only reason to play the season is to see who wins it all in June. So... Um, but yeah, it's, it, I, I do think it's unfortunate on, on a broader, in a broader sense that, um, that we don't have more mystery mm. about it. I don't think it's not that super teams aren't good. There's always been super teams. Yep. The Warriors are like a, an anomaly to the extreme. Um, no, there's never been a team like this. And the, and the, the, the uh, this whole thing where stars are joining up in, in, in a handful of, of cities it is problematic because there aren't that many stars to go around. There aren't enough stars to have teams with three and four stars and then still have stars anchoring teams in, you know, Memphis and Charlotte and, and all these other play in Orlando. Like you, there's a deficit. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a fixed sum. And okay. so, right, right. so I was going to ask you if it was problematic to the point where you think that would maybe turn fans away. Yeah from watching the product um, because to your audience. point, it hasn't, right? You know, we, we saw a lot of movement well, to, the, to the Western Conference or yet. Maybe I'm jumping the gun on that. Last season, there was some evidence that it was hurting local markets uh, or local, local TV ratings. Like the, the TNT and ESPN ratings have been perfectly strong. Yep. But there was evidence last season, and I imagine still into this season, that when you looked at the, the regionals, um, their ratings were down, which kind of makes sense, right? Like if you are... Let's pick on Charlotte, Charlotte Hornets fan, and you have no hope. How much are you? How, how often are you turning on, on, on the TV and watching? Like, if you're the Dallas Mavericks, for that matter, yeah. you know, a team that has had success semi recently, how much motivation do you have to, to turn on? Now, Dennis Smith Jr. is making you more interested again, mm-hmm. but last season, what the hell were you turning on a Mavericks that game for? Yeah, right, <laughs> um, and 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 there there are too many of those teams, too many markets where there's no hope, and. Um, now the good news again too, on the, uh, when we was just talking about like the, the championship level, there, there's a there's a fixed time for any of these teams, right? Eventually, yeah. the Warriors will will start to, to wither because you know, like Iguodala and Sean Livingston are really important. They're not as important as the Big Four, but they're really really important. It's going to be hard to kind of keep that bench going because of cap and ta- tax concerns and just you know the the the, the reality of, of adding to a team that's already maxed out in terms of money. Um, there's, you know, always the possibility that you know people always talk about. Well, maybe Clay Thompson wants wants to do more somewhere else and have his own team. Yeah. I don't know if that'll actually happen, but um, you know, injuries will happen, some aging will happen. Like, it's not, it's not forever, and it, and it's probably less than five more years. Well, five years could be a lifetime, but um, could it, it could? And 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 the fact is, like, the team that was checking them at least ultimately in June was the Cavs, who are. Absolutely, to falling apart, and, and LeBron, you know, seemingly is going to go somewhere else this summer. So, the East will be open again. Bo- you know, Boston or somebody will fill that vacuum. In the West, maybe Boston. the Rockets are maybe the Rockets are getting there. Maybe some people think the Rockets have a, like a chance to at least push the Warriors. Uh, we'll see. You saying you don't see? I'm going to let Mark you. You, you, you were asking before if you thought the Rockets were for real. So that's well. 
Well, yeah, and I and I was going to ask that to Howard, and uh, I was in the barbershop today, and I was having a conversation with my barber and some other people, and uh, one guy in there thought, hey, the Rockets could beat the Warriors. I thought he was out of his mind. I don't think they can. I think they could push him. I think maybe they could win two games in the series. Are the Rockets for real, as currently constructed, obviously before the deadline, are the Rockets for real in terms of legitimately pushing the Warriors in the series and possibly beating them? Like beating them is still going to require that the Warriors do something to themselves, right? Like Draymond gets thrown out of a game or something or, or an injury. Um, at full strength, at their best, the Warriors are still better than the Rockets. I don't think there's any question there. Right. But I like what the Rockets have done to at least try to make it interesting, and I think they can make it interesting. They'll, they could get a game or two off of them. Um, but they have to be nearly perfect to do it. And the Warriors have to like have a, a really crappy shooting night or whatever. Um, but look, I, I, here's what I like. I like that they not only do they get Chris Paul, um, who's obviously a Hall of Fame point guard, but Chris Paul is a pain in the ass defender. He's, he's he's tough. He's gritty. He's he's giving you some of what Patrick Beverly did, except on top of it, he also is one of the greatest point guards of all time. Whereas Beverly was just good at being a pest. Yes. Um, so you you added a guy who, who who you think about for his offense, but actually has made them better defensively, right at the point of, of attack. On top of that, they've got uh, three mobile bigs with Capella, Nene, and and Tarek Black. Then you've got, they brought in Mbamute and P.J. Tucker, so they're getting, you know, and they already had Ariza. So now you've got three of the best switchable, you know, uh, forward types who can also, you know, hit the open three. You're building the kind of team that has a shot, right? If you want to beat the Warriors, you have to be able to, you need mobile defenders who can switch everything to stay in front of shooters. Um, And and you, you need, you need, to be, uh, you know, you need to be able to score at their level, which the Rockets can. They're like, they're like, they're like right neck and neck in terms of offensive efficiency. Um, but you have to bring some defense to the table. And the Rockets, while not at the, the Warriors level, are far improved over where they were last season. So all of that means there's a shot. Um, and that's the thing. Like most teams around the NBA, that's all they feel. And that was the Clippers before too. The Clippers felt like, listen, yeah. we know we don't have their talent level. We know we can't match them. But we're just good enough that a little slippage by them, and maybe we we you know we can come out ahead, you know. And that's all you can hope for if you're anybody but the Warriors. Now is you know what? I can't get as much talent as them. I can't build what they have. But I can I can do my best to, to create a roster that takes advantage of them if there's a little bit of slippage. So with the, the trade deadline coming around, uh, Cleveland's obviously somebody that. To try to make a move, there are a bunch of other teams. Kemba Walker, somebody who's you know reportedly on the market, so to speak. Uh, are any of these teams, you know, could they make up any ground in catching Golden State on the trade deadline, or is there anything that we should look out for in general, like where could Kemba Walker end up? Do, yeah. Does another team do anything? So, so Michael Jordan, who of course owns the Charlotte Hornets, got on the phone with the Charlotte Observer the other day and tried to pour like a little bit of cold water on the Kemba Walker yeah. stuff. Um, I'll oh, find that. Uh, no, not entirely. Um, I, I mean, I, look, you, you want to reassure Kemba that, you know, listen, right. you're, you're our guy. So you, you, you don't want to, and especially the way Kemba reacted, he clearly was hurt by, by the rumors. So yeah. I think Michael was doing what he had to do. That said, there probably is some reluctance. I mean, they don't have a lot to hang their head on there in Charlotte. 
And though they're not going anywhere anytime soon, and they're you know they've got cap issues, and they're you know they're not a good team, they should be considering trading Kemba, yeah. but only for a package that actually helps them unclog the cap and gets them some young talent or, or picks to, to start rebuilding again. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I feel like Kemba, Kemba being traded is a is a lower possibility. Um, there are a bunch, all kinds of other teams out there that just you know have pieces that are you know potentially you know uh, offloadable or that they'd like to, to offload, but it's hard. It's, just, it's really hard. Like everybody, like there's so the latest rumor or one of the latest rumors. Um, my buddy Mark Stein says you know uh, Mavericks maybe would part with Wes Matthews. Look, good, two, good two way player, scorer, shooter, uh, still a good defender. He'd be great. Like you could see Wes Matthews, he'd be great for the Thunder, right? They, yeah. they could use a two guard who can actually score as well as defend, right? Great fit. He'd, he'd be a good fit with Cleveland too, for, for sure. Um, he could be a good fit. Um, you know, you can find any number of places for him. Um, you know, Toronto off the bench. Boston needs bench help. He'd be great there. Like I, you could find a lot of places for him. So the report was they want a first round pick. Well, everybody wants a first round pick. <laughs> That's <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, but, okay, but. A low first, maybe. But to your point, Dexter, yeah. this is the whole thing. Nobody wants to give up first-round picks Nobody. in today's NBA. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everybody wants a first-round pick if you've got a guy. Well, right, look, I've got a guy. He could help you out. Good luck. Like Nobody wants to give up their first-round pick. So now it's going to be, well, we'll trade you. you know. And this is like the thing with Cleveland, right? Mm-hmm. Cleveland doesn't want to have to trade the Nets pick. They don't want to have to trade their own pick. And they're like, well, we'll give you uh, Channing Fry's expiring contract to Iman Shumpert. Well, what the hell are those guys? I've I, I got no use for Iman Shumpert and Channing Fry's expiring contract. I'm going to end up buying Channing Fry out, and he's going to go to the Warriors. Like, what am I? Like, what's the point of the exercise? Now, if you're if you're the Kings, and it's because you don't want George Hill anymore, and it was a bad investment. Okay, that helps you kind of get maybe uh, somebody off the books that you don't want anymore. But Cleveland, if they did that trade, which is reported, you know, Winterworth has done a lot of reporting that. They'd be on the books for George Hill's twenty million next year, and what yeah. leaves and yeah. You know, so and and I think it was Joe Barton reported today in Cleveland Cleveland that in fact the George Hill talks are not close. Like it's it's oh, not right. nearly as close as as, as had been previously assumed. So um, point being, it's really hard to get a deal done in <laughs> right. the in the NBA. Um, so look, there will there will be deals. There's always deals, and there's usually at least one or two that nothing had been rumored about, and they just fall out of the sky, and you don't even see them coming. Right. Um, so uh, you know, we'll talk about all the names that everybody's talking about, <laughs> and it won't be any of those guys, and it'll be something that, somebody that nobody saw coming. Yeah. So, dude, and I will kind of Brian kind of touched on this because I think it's interesting to just break that line. If we're in this world of what you said, which is. Hey, a lot of teams think, hey, we can. I mean, we're never going to have the talent level that the Warriors have. We're trying to keep things close. If things break our way, it can be all good, and you know, maybe we can win the series. Is there? And I'm going to say this specifically to Cleveland. Yeah. Is there a player out there? I think the one person comes to mind would be Paul George, but I don't think he'll go to uh, Cavs. I don't think he's going to be traded. Is there a player out there that can help? Cleveland get out of their doldrums and turn things around for them? Or is this all going to be, they're going to have to rock with what they have? No, it's, it's not any one player. Yeah. Because they, I think they have too many needs at this point. Mm. Um, they, they need a rim protector. Um, so, you know, the, the people look at DeAndre Jordan. They need, uh, the, frankly, they need a point guard. I mean, I, I don't know if Isaiah Thomas is ever going to be himself again. Mm-hmm. Derrick Rose is not ever going to be himself again. I think the body of work is long enough now that we can all conclude Derrick Rose is never going to be an all-star again. Um, you know, uh, so he's not the answer there. Dwayne Wade's a nice 
you know, point guard off the bench for them, but I don't know that he makes sense in their starting lineup and they need him on the, on the bench. Like, so, you know, Kemba Walker would be fun for them, right? Like, he'd be, he'd be great. He'd be what they thought or hoped they were going to be getting with Isaiah Thomas. Um, but, you know, good luck getting Kemba Walker, again, with what you've got. And they don't want to give up that Nets pick. So it, it, it's really tough for Cleveland with very little to trade to get something that's going to help them. And if, if, if all they come out of the trade deadline with is, you know, say George Hill and, I don't know, you know, a better big – is that enough? No. I mean, no. Maybe, no. They'll still get swept, most likely. The, the, key, the key for the Cavaliers is this, and I think it has been from day one, and day one being day one of this season. Mm-hmm. The Cavaliers still have a chance to be really, really good if Isaiah Thomas becomes Isaiah Thomas again. Because they gave up Kyrie Irving. <laughs> you know, like Isaiah Thomas last season was a, was a fair approximation of Kyrie. Yes. The difference between them was, was fairly small. Yeah. But the only way you are getting back to the Cavaliers you were a year ago is to have another guy who can do some of what LeBron does. I, I wrote this two months ago. You only he's, he's, he's always had that second guy. It was either prime Kyrie Irving years or late prime Dwayne Wade in Miami. He's always had another guy who could score and make plays, break down a defense. You need that. LeBron needs that. Like, it's not enough just to be LeBron. If you're just LeBron, we saw what happened in the finals the first time against the Warriors when he didn't have Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. Um, We've seen other times in his career when he had to carry too much. And now he's 33 in his 15th season. Like, he's amazing. He's one of the greatest ever. He's superhuman. But there's only so much he can do. So if you don't have that second guy, and they don't. Isaiah Thomas isn't that guy right now. So, and you're not going to trade for a, another player of that caliber, a, another you know, a, a top tier all star, unlikely. So that means that no matter you know, almost under any scenario, the Cavs go to the playoffs as a much weaker team than they were last spring, which means they're vulnerable if Boston is playing well at that time, or if Toronto gets gets it together. You never know. Like I was saying, neither of these teams are. I don't have a ton of faith in them. Right. But they've got one thing shocked if they upset them. I think those teams feel a hell of a lot better about their ability to knock off the Cavs now yeah. than they did yeah. any time in the last three years. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you if you thought they could still get out of the beats, but who lost the fight? They, they can. They can. can. But I think I think it's a lot gotten a lot steeper. Yeah. I, I think it's very concerning uh, what's what's going on with Cavalier. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. We come back and talk a little bit more NBA, including uh, the all-star game. We'll find out if Howard cares. As much as I do, I talked about that last week. I'm excited about this year's All-Star Game. While we're doing this podcast, the uh, I guess the rosters for both teams have been announced. So we know who picked who between Team Steph and Team... Keyword announced. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, not televised, announced. Uh, it's disappointing that one. We'll talk about more when we come back on the Eating Hard to Tell podcast. Sports Guru is the place where fans talk about sports via video. All videos are 60 seconds or shorter. Sports Guru makes the video look more professional and fun by adding automated on-screen graphics. You can follow your favorite sports by team, trending, new, or by people you follow, and more. Type in the title of your video and it will automatically, that's right, auto-magically go into your on-screen graphics. It's just that simple. Tag your teams and publish sports. Let's talk sports. It ain't hard to tell where to get the latest merchandise from Backpack Broadcasting. Gear is now available via TeePublic. Visit the Backpack Broadcasting TeePublic online store to get shirts, hoodies, mugs, 
and phone cases. Represent your favorite backpack broadcasting shows, including the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, and of course, the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Check out the special offers for our podcast listeners at http colon backslash backslash t dot pub backslash lic backslash backpack. Get in the game with your official backpack broadcasting here today. All right, welcome back to the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Next time we Brian Fonseca with our guest, Howard Beck, uh, senior NBA writer, Bleacher Report. We're talking a lot about the NBA trade deadlines, Cavaliers problems, why we all believe nobody can beat the Warriors. Right. <laughs> all interesting stuff. Um, I'm going to keep, before we get back to some stuff, NBA, I want to talk about the All-Star Weekend. Uh, obviously, uh, a week before ago, they announced the starters, they announced the reserves early this week from when we record this podcast. And then as we record this podcast, uh, we saw the picks from LeBron and Steph Curry, the team captains, um, and this was not televised. You tweeted about how you thought to quote it was lame, and I love that word lame. That's a word, <laughs> that's a word I use all the time, but I don't like. It's like it. so it's like my, my it's like my junior high insult yeah. at that point, right? Man, that's lame. <laughs> I, still, I still like the word lame. I think, and I think it applies. Still works. What, yeah. what, why? Why are you so disappointed to hear words say about the, the league not televising this? I mean, look, uh, the All Star Game is not that important, and how they pick the All Star teams really isn't that important. And I don't even care. Like, I don't even get caught up in snubs and all that stuff. Who cares? It's just right. All Star Weekend. It's an exhibition. But that's why I think that's why it does irritate me that the players were so opposed to televising the draft. Because listen. You, Credit to the league for being innovative and for recognizing things that gotten stale. Yep. So let's do something different. Mm-hmm. We'll have team captains and they'll pick the teams. Okay, we all praised you for it. We all got up and, and clapped when you announced yeah. it. Good job, NBA. Yeah. You're being forward thinking. You're you're letting the All Star Game evolve and doing something a little different. Recognizing it needs a new twist. But you ruined the whole exercise by now taking that away from us to, to see the actual process of drafting it. Just seeing these scrambled rosters now, Team Steph and Team LeBron, and we're looking at it and going like, oh, okay, all right, Team LeBron. Wow, he's got Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Those are Western Conference players, and they're playing on LeBron's team. Wow, how innovative. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? I don't like. Okay, they scrambled the rosters. It's not East West. It's not like we have like deep seated like regional rivalry between the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference in the NBA. This does not actually do anything. So, having Steph and LeBron pick, the intrigue of that was to actually see them pick. <laughs> to, to see who got went first, to right. see how the other guy responded, to have them be interviewed on camera and say, "Well, why'd you do that? Yeah. Why did you why'd you pick your own teammate? Why'd you let that guy like?" That was the whole intrigue for any of us who are fans or media. So it's all it's it's all silly and meaningless anyway. It's not the kind of thing I would normally get like that irate about. It's just more like if you're going to innovate, if you're going to, to want us to give you all all of us to give you credit for doing that, then then actually do it. This was this was a half-assed way of of changing it. Yeah. And um, shame on the players for being so over hypersensitive that they didn't think they could do this on camera without it being uncomfortable. Ooh, it's uncomfortable. These are the same guys who go on Instagram every day, killing each other, you know, passive aggressively liking each other's Instagram <laughs> posts, who talk trash on and off the court, who create all this drama, right. and then it's like, oh, we don't want to have to pick somebody on camera because it might hurt somebody's feelings. <laughs> 
Come on. Really, if somebody's feelings going to be hurt because they're yeah. the last person picked, you're an all-star. Yeah. yeah. You're picked as an right. all-star. You're known as one of the best players in the league. So you're the 24th picked. You're only the 24th best instead of the, like, the 13th. Really? Which, by, yeah. which, by the way, Jimmy Butler, multiple-time all-star, mm-hmm. 30th pick in the draft the year he was drafted. Jimmy... What do you think matters more to Jimmy Butler? Being picked 30th in the actual draft where it costs you money and prestige, uh-huh. standing, versus, oh, I was only like 12th in the all-star draft. Like, who yeah. doesn't Jimmy care Butler about that? Giannis was the 15th overall pick. Rudy Gobert, not an all-star this year because he's been hurt. Rudy Gobert was the 27th pick when he was picked. Uh, Draymond Green, 35th pick. That stuff matters so much more than where they would be picked in this draft. And I think it was less about the draft order and who goes last than it probably was about, oh, everybody's going to be keyed in on is LeBron going to pick Kyrie or is, and is Steph going to pick really? his own team? Yeah, I think huh. I think it was way more about that stuff, the relationship stuff, probably. and all of the reading into Sounds it. Sounds right. But my, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. My, my vision yeah. for this thing was always – don't not just do it on TV, but Steph and LeBron in the inside the NBA studio uh-huh. with Chuck and Shaq and Ernie and Kenny with, tu- with 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 CNN like touch screens, John yeah. John King touch screens, and like one of them's got each touch screen, and they they grab somebody from the middle, and they pull them to their side, and then immediately Ernie's like. And Steph, why did you uh, why did you take Giannis with with your first pick of the draft? And then he has to, to explain it. And immediately you've got Shaq and Chuck just like giving him absolute yeah. hell. Yeah, yeah, and like yeah. the second, like LeBron doesn't pick Kyrie. Chuck's killing him for not picking. Like that would be television. Like yeah. that would we, we be. We would not record the podcast during that time. No, no. Everybody would have wanted to see it. Well, actually, we probably I try to find a way to watch it and record a podcast at the same yeah. time. But that's a whole other story. Two minutes of that. Yeah, yeah. It would be it would be too good. After all of my advocating for that, I would have had I'd be obligated to stay home and watch that. Speaking of all star festivities that we have issues with. I have an issue with the USA versus the world format for the Rising Stars game. I have an issue with you watching the Rising Stars oh, game. I, I'm not watching it. I'm not watching it. But I just have an issue with the format of it being 10 players from the United States, 10 players from the world, because you're never going to get the 20 best players, first of all. Second of all, yeah. why is it still 10 and 10? Why isn't it? You want the All-Star game to expand to 15 I and do. 15. The Rising Stars should probably do the same thing. But my bigger issue is why are we still doing the USA versus the world thing when players like, I don't know, Karis LeVert, for example, who's a lot better than Frank Nielakina this year, could have been in the game. No, I mean, and, and, and fair. And look, I'm, I'm, on, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Karis LeVert bandwagon myself. So, I, I, you know, he's a guy who's definitely deserving. Um, you know, look, the rookie-sophomore game has always been – God awful! Like it, 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 it's unwatchable. I don't watch Friday night. I don't watch the celebrity game. I don't watch the rookie sophomore game. Another person doesn't watch celebrity game. Apo- apologies. It depends who's in it. No, I don't. I, I, I don't watch it for good basketball. Yeah. No, it's just it's look. The the, the the beauty of watching the younger stars coming up in the game mm-hmm. is watching them in an actual game. There like, 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 what's what's more fun? Watching Karis LeVert, you know, go, you know, dunk on, you know, Demarcus Cousins or something in an actual game, or Karis LeVert, you know, dunk on uh, Dennis Smith Jr. So I don't. Who cares? Like, um, the, the rookie sophomore game has always been. Terrible. I think the reason that those rosters are smaller, frankly, I don't know the answer, but my guess would be because there's usually not enough good rookies and sophomores to justify more than 10. Um, huh. maybe, and, maybe because it's 40 minutes long? Is that everything that has Maybe. No, but that's a good point, Howard. Because on, this, is, this has been a good rookie class. 
overall, you probably look at it. Yeah. But what if you have a year with some well, better? Well, think, think about it this oh, way. The Go, Malcolm Brogdon year? Well, not yet last year, for one. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, t t do this exercise sometime. Mm -hmm. Go back through, like, go on Basketball Reference or anywhere else where they keep the records of, like, all the all-rookie teams. Mm -hmm. And, like, because every, every year people will be like, oh, this guy made all-rookie. Like, Look at how shitty most of those players ended up being. Like, there's there's a ton of guys who made all rookie or all rookie second team, but even all rookie first team, who had crap careers after that. Because the fact is, out of any sixty man draft class, yeah, there are really only going to be a couple of all stars, a yeah. few other really good rotation players, mm -hmm. and a bunch of guys who barely even have a career or yeah. fall out of the league very quickly. So, yeah. um, ten or so have to be picked for the team. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's dangerous to go beyond. Ten, that's frankly. Right. Marshawn Brooks was all rookie. Uh, there team you go. <laughs> China. I think he's in China. Taking a lot of shots in China. <laughs> that being said, do you? And I don't know if you are going out to LA this year, but I am. You are. Do you care at all, even about the actual All Star game? Is that no. still interesting? No. Um, the All Star game. I'm not sure if the All Star game was ever. It, well, it was. I mean, you know. Like you, you hate doing the, like the, the the old man shaking his fist at the cloud thing, <laughs> but um, but it was better back in the day. They did try harder back in the day. Like th like that's objectively true. Yeah, Even no, today's players yeah, would no, admit that. Um, so it is objectively the, the All Star Game itself is objectively worse than it used to be. Um, I have my own ideas about how to fix that, but um, but it, but it's hard. You know, it's a long weekend. They put these guys through more than they ever have before. The demands on these guys, they're all exhausted by the time they get to Sunday night. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's part of it. They don't want to get hurt. That's part of it. Mm -hmm. um, they're all buddies. They don't want to show each other up, probably. That's part of it. But it's just it's, it's, it's a meaningless exhibition. So, no, I, to me, the idea of an all-star game the way it's played now, where it's just we're just going to, like, jog up and down the court and throw alley-oops and, 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 and jack a lot of threes, like, yeah. it's not interesting. It's, not, it's no longer competition. And when people get into, like, oh, it's going to be interesting to see who Steph and LeBron picks because of how the rosters will shake out, or people have talked about experiments where let's do all the bigs versus smalls or whatever, you know why that doesn't actually intrigue me? Because if they don't care about the outcome, then it, then it doesn't matter. The right. composition doesn't matter. Right. It, it only matters if you're actually trying to Wait. use those lineups to your advantage. Yep. If you don't care and all you want to do is just keep throwing lob dunks, well, all right. So do you? Yeah. So do you agree? Right. So do you agree with Dexter? You had a point uh, about how they should. You think they should just get rid of the All Star game? Yeah, I, I'm actually saying I'm actually in, fa in favor of getting rid of the All Star game. Just naming the All Stars. We, we know the director. Van, Van Gundy said this last week, yeah. Oh, I didn't even know he said yeah, that. Jeff, oh, Jeff, I, actually didn't know I think Jeff said it on Zach's podcast. I think podcast you guys would agree with a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't listen to that episode of the Love Post, which is actually what I'm All us cranky old men agree. Well, I agree too. I just think, hey, let's just have it. Let's just name these guys. We know the honor they have. I'm fine with the skills competition, the three point shootout, even the dunk concert I don't care for anymore. I'm fine with having yeah. those for the fans. Yeah. Could be good this That's year. That's it. Yeah, I mean, listen, if they did away with the All-Star game, I personally would not miss it. Yeah, However, right. it is still a massive revenue generator for the league. The week it, it anchors the weekend itself, which right. is a massive revenue generator. Um, it's a signature event. Like, the NBA is never going to get rid of it. But they could make it better. So my thought on this has, has been uh, – so, all right, so here's, here's – Right, right. I understand all the – like, I already stated all the reasons why these guys don't try as much, right? Mm -hmm. Um all right. First of all, shorten the damn game. It's too long. You don't. It, this is not a real game. You don't have to. You don't. Not obligated to go twelve minute quarters. Make right. them ten minute quarters. Running make clock. A, make them eight minute quarters. Running clock is another one I thought of. Yeah. yeah. So, either either or or even both. Ten minute quarters. Running clock. Yeah. Keep, make it shorter. It drags out way too long. Yeah. Um, 
And because of that, the pace is that much more plotting too. So speed it up, maybe that'll add a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, tension or momentum to it. That's one. The other part is this. So nobody plays any defense. We know this. Yes. This year for the first time, now I've said in the past, I thought if you attach, you should attach uh, some stakes like playing for charity. They are doing that this year. I'm mm. sure I'm not the only one who ever suggested it, but I'll take credit anyway. Um, <laughs> so, so each team is going to pick a charity to play for, right? But they're leaving it at that. I think that's not far enough. My idea was this. Pick a charity to reach playing for but don't just have it be like the winner gets x amount for their charity and the loser gets x amount less for their charity pin it to stuff within the game mm. so like make the last two minutes of every quarter be its own thing so it's like it's 25 it. to 20 and now we have another clock that just says zero zero whoever wins that last two minutes of the quarter that's an extra ten thousand for your charity mm. or whoever holds the other team under x number of points for that for, for the last two minutes do it at the end of every single quarter because what people have said in the past was what, what the all-star game would what they do is players would like yeah they start off competing a little bit then it would wane the middle two quarters they'd start dicking around a bunch and then late in the fourth guys would start getting serious and then all of a sudden guys are starting to go at each other because now they all of a sudden decide well now it's time to win i want to win well, if you create, it's, it's artificial tension, but still create yeah. that tension at the end of t- last two minutes of every quarter of these shorter quarters that are now 10 minutes, um, and all of a sudden, okay, boom, clock hits, time to ramp it up a little bit. Right. So again, you're not going to have to go all out for 48 minutes. Maybe it's only 40. And of that 40, it's only the last couple minutes of each quarter, but there's something on the line. It's, it's a little bit of pride, and it's a little bit of pride in the charity that you picked. And and we're, and yeah. and the people at home know it because it's on the TV and it shows the reset there. It right. shows what charity you're playing for and what's right. at stake. Just give them something. Like players have to to convince themselves or trick themselves, even in the course of, a, of an 82 game season, right, yeah. to get themselves motivated. They can psych themselves out. They can get themselves motivated for a couple of minutes in an ex, in an, an all star game um, to actually start playing hard, and that would make it more fun again. Like. I don't want anybody to get hurt either. I don't want them to go all out. I'm not expecting it to look like Game 7 of the finals. I'm just saying there's something in between, and we can find that. We can find it. Right. Adam Silver. Um, he's probably not listening to our podcast. <laughs> I'll send it to him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan of it. I like it. I think it actually would help the game. Um, we're going to get off the NBA for a second. Uh, today, as we record this podcast, the news are broke with the X. Oh, yes. Oh, um, our producer's yeah, happy about that. And we don't care. Uh, for those people who listen or watch this podcast that are old enough to remember when the XFL first came out in 2001, uh, it's a long time ago, I was just going to college. He hate me. He hate me. I was remember seven. That. That's the only thing I remember. Is <laughs> the guy who was, the, was the guy with the jersey that said he hate me. me. Which, was, yeah. which was a pretty dope. And Tommy Maddox was there. Um, Howard, <laughs> you tweeted about the XFL. I will not get into too much of that. Your thoughts on the XFL coming back. Are you excited as much as Matthew can Um... It's it's funny because I grew up on like the like football was my favorite sport. The NFL was my sport. That was, the NFL is the reason I became a sports writer, even though I now don't even actually watch it anymore and I don't care. Um, so um, I mean, I've been off the NFL and off of football in general for for a long time. So I'm a, I have a, a pretty jaded view of this in the first place. But um, even if I were like still embracing football as a sport, uh, the idea of the XFL coming back. I mean, one why? Uh, like, I, I don't, I don't feel like anybody I'm serious to why. I don't feel like anybody was clamoring for. Maybe somebody's clamoring for. But like, no, but I, I think that I think that Vince McMahon and 
whoever he's working with is just trying to capitalize on 45's presidency. Yes. And that I crowd think, kind of rising to prominence over the last couple of years. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, there, there, there's a, there are people out there, uh, I think it's a tiny, tiny, tiny minority of the sports-watching public, but there is some group out there that you hear from now and then on Twitter who I think really, truly do believe that somehow the NFL is, is coming unglued because a, a handful of guys sat for the anthem. Um, I'm sure that there's a, is a, is, there's a segment there. I'm sure that Vince McMahon will tap into that segment. I'm sure that politically that, that's, that's what he wants to do. Yeah. That's not enough people to, to fund, uh, you know, the, 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 to create the revenue stream for a professional football league. But also, look, there, there's not enough talent. There never has been. There wasn't <laughs> enough talent for the XFL to, to, to exist the first time. Yeah. I'm not sure there's enough talent for the USFL when they tried it. Or the years FXFL before. a couple years ago. There was a what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, one was- so they try. Okay, so I, I remember this because uh, the Brooklyn Bolts were actually in Coney oh, Island. The FXFL, they tried to do a develop. They tried to do yeah. like a minor football league for six games in a season. They took like four teams. This was literally a couple of years ago. And what they tried to do, their attempt was to become the developmental league of the NFL. Uh, they never got to that deal. They folded after like two seasons. Yeah. So I mean, look, we we, we had there was there was the, there was, there was the, the world. Josh league. Freeman was there. By do you remember there was something called the World League of American Football at yes, one point? I, I actually do. I remember. Yeah. I so <laughs> they, had, they had teams in Europe. So there was there was that. Oh yeah, there yeah, was yeah. A, they, they, I mean, every so often somebody tries one of these and never works. Um, He's tried it already, and it he's, didn't work. He's tried it already, and it didn't work. I don't see any reason why it would now, um, but, you know, whatever. I mean, we'll you know that. I don't know But they think there's people on this earth, like walking this earth, that think that the XFL is coming to put the NFL out of business. That's another thing. That's people, hilarious. People try. People think that a, I, I think mean, that listen, the a, NFL deserves to be to be driven out of business, probably, but they won't be. Yeah, I think that A, a he's trying to capitalize on that fan base doing that, but B, he's also trying to capitalize on the NFL getting their you know quote unquote bad publicity or whatever. He's already yeah. made a rule that. You know, all players must stand for the anthem. So you already know I, who he's trying to cater to. My, my, my greatest wish on multiple levels um, is that on opening night of the XFL season, half the players take a knee. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I will sign for that. Yeah. But you said that the, that the XFL before, was it you? I think it was you that said the XFL before. Like, in 2001, if players took a knee for the anthem, they probably would have welcomed that back then. I actually think because I think they wanted to be so different. They were supposed to be right, yeah. renegades. They were supposed to be irreverent. They were supposed to be edgy. That's like the, that's what the whole X was for. That was like that was the that was by the way the peak in American history for the letter X. Like yeah. everything was the X. That was when the X Games started. The XFL. Yeah, XFL everything. X, and X meant you were really edgy. Yeah. You know? you were, right. You were you were a badass. In fact, if there was an X anywhere in your name, you were a badass. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. That was the whole point of the XFL was to be like this irreverent. The NFL was old and stodgy and didn't want guys to do touchdown celebrations and the XFL was going to embrace individuality. So the irony of that with the present day version where it's going to be all about, oh, we stand for the anthem and nobody's going to be able to express themselves. They're noble all of a sudden. Like, yeah, I think you just missed the entire, like the irony, (laughs) they they have no concept of it. Yeah. Yeah. They they also said if you had a DUI, you can't play, which means Johnny Manziel, who everyone would want to see in the XFL, can't play. Well, I mean, those people, those people want to see him in the XFL. They'll, they'll find, they'll find a way to. Uh, they'll find a way to get they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're gonna do that. Now, you just brought up uh, talking about the players in the NFL uh, take taking me, uh, you know, protesting. 
Are you surprised this season in the NBA we didn't see more protests against mm. injustice? Do you think that kind of was tempered by the memo that was sent out before the start of the season, or was it not shocking the way things have gone? So that memo that was sent out before uh, the start of the season was a joint memo of the Players Association of Michelle Roberts and Adam Silver. So it's not like this was some top-down thing. The NBA does not do this. The NBA, at least under Adam Silver, does not. The NBA was not telling its players, don't take a knee. Mm -hmm. The NBA... Uh, commissioner and the and the executive director of the players union, Michelle Roberts, together said, "Listen, we all, we support uh, expression free expression. We support your your um, you know all efforts you guys make to uh, be active and engaged in society and in, and in various issues." Um, but they said, "But we do have a rule about standing for the anthem." Had anybody defied that and decided to do their own thing? I would have been curious to see what the NBA really would have done, especially if it was LeBron, right? Um, because I don't, I don't think that they would have come down, down that hard on them. I think they would have found a way to, you know, wave it away without, like, they would say, "Well, yes, well, our rule is our rule," but like, they would have found a way. Mm -hmm. they, they were, they were yeah. not going to castigate anybody or or discipline them. I, I don't believe that for a second. It's not, it's not the way Adam Silver operates. It's not the way today's NBA operates. Mm. Um, that no one did. You ask, am I surprised? I mean, on some level, I would have liked to have seen it just because I think it would have been a powerful statement. Okay. Um, and I think there's good reason for people to do it if, if their conscience leads them in that direction. And I wouldn't want anybody feeling inhibited from, from that. But I could make this case that what's happened in the NFL is showing that uh, there are just enough people in this country or there are factions of people in this country who they're geared, whether it's politically or just the way that they view and how they define patriotism. Mm. It did alienate them. It did piss them off. And as a business matter, maybe that's not the best thing for you. You want to appeal to the broadest possible audience. Now, does that mean you keep your politics in check? No. Has the Have NBA players kept their politics in check? Absolutely not. Yeah. They've been extremely outspoken about this president, about general matters of of, 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 of U.S. policy about any number of things and about just too right and yeah. coaches too and about yeah. and, and about uh, issues of gun control and about issues of uh, you know uh, uh, police violence against unarmed black men like all of these things the NBA players and coaches have not kept themselves in check on these issues right they have yeah. been outspoken so the, here's the difference in the NFL where they've long kind of uh, discouraged anybody from expressing themselves. The one, uh, you know, uh, source of expression that they could pursue that was symbolic and that seemed powerful just in its imagery was taking the knee. NBA players didn't need to because they've been speaking out on this stuff all along. Like, does, does taking a knee during the anthem, however you feel about that as an act, how, whether you think it's respectful, disrespectful, whether you think it's patriotic, whether you think it's, you know, whatever you think it is, whether it's effective or not. It is a very powerful image, but does that actually do anything more than what LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Carmelo and Chris Paul did when they spoke at the ESPYs very eloquently on issues of police violence, specifically? If you ask, that, if you ask me, I say, no, I equate it to being almost the same thing, and it's the same, the same, it's the same stance that they were playing. Sure, it's right. the same stance, yeah. but actually it's more specific when you're saying it. Now it's... Because one of the problems that's happened with the NFL players was that their cause was 
was distorted, willfully distorted, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by people who didn't want to hear it. Who never want, they didn't want to hear about the police violence. They didn't want to hear about the actual issues. So they they turned it into something else that it wasn't. They turned it into an anthem protest as opposed to a protest against police violence. Yep. So by by NBA players staying away from the symbolic and leaning toward the the you know specific statements. Um, you know, both in, in just off-day interviews after practice, if they were asked, or at the ESPYs, or in other venues, they have they, they've you know taken a much more head-on stance. Um, so they didn't need to take a knee during the anthem or do anything else like that. So, um, you know, if anything, that's a positive about the NBA, where they already know that they have complete free reign to express themselves and engage on on political issues with full support of the NBA um, without resorting to something symbolic that could have been easily distorted and misconstrued the way it had been in the NFL. No, I, I completely agree yeah, with you on that. Absolutely. A couple, things, a couple quick hitters for you before you go. Uh, I think we talked about it before you go. I brought up a Nick fan, a Nick fan. Um, your thoughts on the team this season? Are they headed in the right direction for their rebuild? Are they committed to it? Because that's my thing. I'm not sure if the Knicks are truly committed to rebuild because it's kind of walker rumors. I would make that move. But no, the, the answer is they're never truly committed to a rebuild because because <laughs> they're, they, because they're the Knicks. Like they don't know how to commit to that. Bex is going to keep getting his heart broke until he learns. All right, listen. <laughs> benefit of the doubt. Let me just give them some benefit of the doubt here. Um, they uh, it remains to be seen how they're going to handle the next couple weeks before the trade deadline, right? We'll, we'll, we'll see. Like, a trade for Kemba Walker would show that they have not learned from any of their mistakes in the past 20 years. That, that would be yet another one of those, you know, grab the shiny object and give up some future assets because we, we see a chance to win the press conference and give everybody a momentary thrill. Amen. That would show that they haven't learned a damn thing. Um, <laughs> however, they are sending mixed signals right now anyway. Um, as I'm sure you and other Knicks fans would agree, if you're not playing Willie Erdogan Gomez, then what's what's the point? If you're playing Kylo Quinn instead, what's the point? If you're playing Jarrett Jack instead of Mila Kina in fourth quarters, um, or you're bringing in Trey Burke for that matter, instead, like just play Frank Mila Kina every minute of every game at this point. Really, right? Like, I don't. I understand, like Jeff Hornacek. It's the first year that he is free to just do things his way. So it's almost like year one for him. He has something to prove. It's year one for Steve Mills, even though it's not really year one for Steve Mills. But it's year one for Scott Perry. Yeah. Everybody wants to show that that they're the ones who are putting the team on the right track. And so there's always a temptation to show immediate results to say, "Hey, see, we're the ones who are getting it right. Mm-hmm. We got this." But I think you would agree, most Knicks fans would that the the better long term path is. Screw trying to, to chase the eighth seed this year. Um, play your young guys. See what you've got. Develop them as much as you can. If you lose, fine. You own your draft pick. It's a great pit draft. It, a top five pick could get you another franchise star to go with Nila Kina and, and, and Porzingis. Now you've got three building blocks for the next ten years. That's your best path forward, clearly. Um, and, you know, look, Courtney Lee, Kylo Quinn, you know, we talked about it earlier. It's really hard to find you know anybody to give you a first round pick, but with the two of those guys together and some contract, uh, you know, uh, other contracts thrown in, maybe get you something of value from another team mm-hmm. and maybe a pick in it. I would be exploring that. I I, I, I I see absolutely zero value to the Knicks trying to make the playoffs this year, unless you're Jeff Hornacek and you're trying to save your job. Right. I, I haven't agree with you, but I'm, I have to consider myself a logical rationalist. 
I think there's very few. There, there are interesting different factions of Nick fans, as you know. There's, there's the reality-based group, and then there's the, yeah. the, the delusion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last week we talked about the Ball family. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on how they're not necessarily just them, but how they're covered. Yeah. Necessary because a lot of people, you know, um, we have like editors telling reporters to go cover them, even though reporters don't want to allegedly. Um, and it's just crazy, more crazy. Oh, I what <laughs> I, have, I have not been asked to go. More, more, more sure crazy. This time of year. <laughs> more crazy than it needs to be. But I guess, like, what's what's your thoughts on it? Um, you know. So, obviously, Lonzo is newsworthy because he's the second pick of the draft and playing for the Lakers. His brothers are newsworthy because ever since those guys, all three of them were coming up, we've known that there was this this family of, you know, deep shooting, you know, almost Curry-like, you know, players out there. Like, the, the stories about them started coming out a couple of years ago about, like, these kids, you know, these three brothers were amazing, blah, blah, blah. But they're newsworthy. That's fine. Um, and LeVar Ball is, you know, obviously a showman. And an assistant and a, coach and a provocateur and, and, and kind of a, a lot of other things. So, like, there's no question of newsworthiness, right? They right. are newsworthy for reasons that are evident to anybody. Mm-hmm. There is a, you know, a problem in today's media. Maybe it's always existed. Maybe it's more now because of the times we live in with social media and, and everything else. Mm-hmm. That I feel like the media has, to an extent, gorged on the Ball family. So, as far as season goes, finals pick is nothing more than I know it's really dangerous to, to do this, and I never ever. I, I, yeah, and I would never bet against LeBron. <coughs> but things are so bad right now, I'd, I'd pick the Celtics. I would certainly, if you asked me Cavs versus the field, I'm taking the field. Maybe it's not the Celtics. Maybe it's the Raptors. Maybe somehow things start clicking in Washington finally, for God knows. <laughs> for God's sake. I got to who knows. Like that's, that's the team that's like, that's really frustrating. Like the Wizards. That, yeah. The team, they should be. Oh, yeah. They are. The Bucks should be a little better than they are too, but maybe not at that that level. Um, but I would take the field over the Cavs right now, just because I think they're 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 in a really uh, bad place right now, both in terms of their actual personnel and the chemistry within that personnel. Um, I, I think I think they may be in trouble for once. Mm. Jason Kidfire, did that shock you? No, um, the rumblings have been around for a while. Um, and, do you think he gets another job? We know a lot about what went down with him in the next right, yeah. that was. But do you think he gets another job? I think there, there, there are two major factors working against Jason Kidd getting another head coaching job in the NBA. Um, one is that he had these messy exits already yep. in, mm-hmm. in Milwaukee and Brooklyn. And he has a history of messy exits as a player throughout his entire career. That will count against him. And also, the NBA teams more and more have been going through more of these unconventional hires. So it's not always the ex-player, right? It's the Brad Stevens type or a Frank Vogel, um, you know, David Fisdale, a career assistant type. Um, like they're they're going different directions. It's not like the ex-player moving just right on off, you know, onto the bench as assistants. Yes, and he skipped that step. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure Jason Kidd's going to get another job anytime soon. Uh, in the NBA, not as a head coach, anyway. Your thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets so far this season? I mean, they've been what you would expect. You know, like it, it's it's even not... with the injuries, right? Right? No, no, no. Well, even with the injuries, like the the one thing you expected was they were going to play hard mm-hmm. and play together and move the ball and you know and play at a breakneck pace and shoot a lot of threes and bust their asses and win games that they're not supposed to win just because some nights they're going to outwork you. And that's what they've done. And I said, my in October, I, I think I had said and even tweeted something like my my lukewarm 
prediction, like it was not my, it's not a hot take, it's a lukewarm take, but for for the, for the season was that the Nets are going to ruin the Cavs' pick. They're going to ruin the Kyrie. They're going to ruin the Kyrie trade. I definitely saw. And that. they are. They're ruining the Kyrie trade because that pick's going to end up. Be, now they could fall off a cliff, and the pick could jump right into the top five. But right now they're ruining it. They're making it a, a, like an eighth, ninth, tenth pick. Yeah. In which case, like the Cavs, that's not why they. You didn't trade Kyrie to get the tenth pick. You traded yeah. it for the chance to get top three, top five at minimum. Um, so, like, call credit to, to Kenny and uh, Kenny Atkinson for the the culture that they have instilled there and the ethic that they've instilled in these guys. And you know, the curiosity to me is, do they now sell high on some guys because? There are teams that could really use Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, there are teams that could really use Joe Harris, Damari Carroll, yeah. who has who has, has certainly I think revived his career after a couple of really tough years in Toronto where he was mostly hurt. So you've got guys now with value that contenders could use, that playoff bound teams could use. But if you trade them, I mean, those are also the guy. The guys we just mentioned are guys who are like they're the epitome of your culture now. Yeah, like you, you like it would be that would be painful. That would be, it would be very painful for them as a, as, a, as, a, as an organization to do, you know, what what the Rockets used to always do when Daryl Morey was just churning through guys until they finally got James Harden. Yeah, what the Sixers were doing, where you basically just look at guys as assets instead of as people. Like, there's a certain logic to it, and and it and it makes sense in terms of building up uh, your roster and giving yourself a chance for more talented players down the road. But what does that do to the culture that you've just spent the last? two seasons under Kenny and Sean Marks trying to build. Um, So I I, I don't know. I don't know how you weigh those things against each other. It's a fascinating discussion when they're not about to have publicly, but I, I, I I, I wonder, I wonder how they're, how they're weighing that internally. Yeah. It's like you you have, you have, you know, you have Dinwiddie, uh, Rondé Hollis, Jefferson, uh, D'Angelo Russell all cheap for another season after this year, which is a point that I keep making because soon you're going to have to decide, you know who you're going to pay. Who yeah, not. and Karis LeVert. After I think that. I think it's less about who you have to pay and what that's going to cost in terms of the payroll. I think it's more about who do you think are guys that are going to define your franchise for the next five mm-hmm. to ten years, and do the guys that you have now, if you flip them for picks, give you a better shot to either get a high pick who's going to be better than any of these guys. Yeah, you know if you're selling high, like Spencer Dinwiddie has been really really good. He's been a, a revelation, right? Mm-hmm. He's never going to be an All Star guard most likely right very very unlikely if you flipped him for a pick that could become an all-star because let's say you know you ended up with a 15th pick in the draft and you aced the pick right every so often you ate like Giannis was the 15th pick mm-hmm. getting yourself a top 20 pick gives you a chance to maybe ace the pick and get a, a, a 10-time all-star you know does Spencer Dinwiddie or Damari Carroll or any of these guys are they better value in terms of what they give you now and keeping them in, in, you know, for the next several years, or are they better in terms of like that mystery of that pick that you might get? I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. We would like to thank our guest Howard Beck of Bleacher Report for joining the podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode of the ain't hard to tell podcast.